All right, well, let's turn to Psalm chapter 89. This is not going to be our text this morning, but I just want to begin um, by looking at a couple of verses here. So Psalm chapter 89, and um, we're going to begin reading in verse 5. says, The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? A God greatly feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all those who are around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is like you, O mighty Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You yourself crushed Rahab like one who is slain. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. And then skip down to verse 13. You have a strong arm. Your hand is mighty. Your right hand is exalted. And I was thinking um, about these verses 10 and 13 there where it says you scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. And then in verse 13, you have a strong arm. So this idea of God having a strong or a mighty arm. So what is meant by this? What is meant whenever scripture says that God has a mighty arm? And I think the primary thing that is meant is his infinite power. Scripture also talks about God raising his arm or his outstretched arm. And if you think about a strong and powerful warrior like Goliath in the Old Testament, you can imagine that he was incredibly strong and mighty. And there would have been numerous ways that he could subdue his enemies. You know, nine foot tall, you can't imagine how strong he would have been that he could subdue and overpower his enemies in a multitude of ways. But if you think about Goliath raising his arms up, that's a manifestation that he's about to unleash, in a sense, his power. And so it's really symbolic, in one sense, of the power about to come out. And so it is with God. He has infinite power, and he can subdue his enemies any way he pleases. But whenever scripture talks about God having a mighty arm or an outstretched arm, that's just an indication to us that it's about to tell us about something that God has um, overpowered his enemies in some miraculous way. Well, what are some of the instances where we see God's mighty arm mentioned in scripture? And I think the instance that is mentioned more than any other, is God bringing Israel out from captivity in Egypt. It comes up over and over again in Scripture. Here's one example. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. So this idea, mighty hand, outstretched arm, and that's what God did in delivering Israel from captivity. Well, this theme comes up repeatedly in the Old and New Testament. Um, God's power was in full display in how he made a mockery of one of the world's strongest empires by destroying them and bringing out of 
of Egypt, a nation of slaves. I mean, they, they really were no nation at all. They were just a, a group of people that were enslaved, and God brings them out. And then on top of that, he led this nation through the wilderness for 40 years, providing for their needs all along the way. And Moses repeats this same idea over and over again uh, as it, throughout Deuteronomy. And then also you find David recounting this in many of the Psalms. And then you find even in the New Testament, the apostles referencing God's mighty arm delivering Israel out of Egypt. Well, there are other examples in scripture that we could look at, but we're not going to take the time to do it. But you have God granting victory to Gideon and his 300 men over the Midianites. Again, that's an example of God's mighty arm. Um, How about David versus Goliath, young shepherd boy versus this monster of a giant, and God delivers him. How about God destroying 185,000 Assyrians in one night? Um, there in King Hezekiah's reign. So time and time again, God grants victory to his people in spectacular fashion. But then you also have God delivering his people from certain death and destruction. And some examples that I thought of in this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, here they are thrown into the furnace of flaming fire, and God delivers them there. And then you have Daniel thrown to the lion's den, And again, God's mighty hand, his outstretched arm protecting there. Well, I want to spend our time this morning looking at another way in which we see God's mighty arm displayed. And uh, this will be our passage this morning, Luke chapter 1. And actually, John Barry touched on a lot of this last week in his message. In fact, I think he read this passage that we're about to look at here. Luke chapter 1, verse 51 and 52. This is Mary speaking um, after she has uh, conceived, or the the Lord, um, the Holy Spirit rather, has placed the Messiah in her womb, and she says this, verse 51, he has done mighty deeds with his arm. So the same phrase that we've been talking about, these magnificent manifestations of power there in the Old Testament, this is the same idea here. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. So what is this mighty deed that he's done? He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. So here in this passage, we see two specific ways in which God's mighty arm is manifested. The first is there in verse 51, the end of 51 and the beginning of 52. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. And uh, he has brought down rulers from their thrones. And I think this could be summed up like this. God humbles the proud. That is one of the ways that we see God's mighty arm being manifested is that he humbles the proud. And then the end of verse 52 there, he has exalted those who are humble. Here's another way in which we see God's mighty arm being manifested is that he exalts the humble. He lifts up the humble. And when I read this recently, it struck me 
that I think of God's mighty deliverances in the Old Testament and his example, the examples that we talked about briefly, I think of that as God's mighty power, but I don't think about God humbling the proud and exalting the humble in the same way. Just as God revealed his mighty arm in delivering Israel from Egypt through these signs and wonders, so he reveals the same mighty arm whenever he scatters those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart and whenever he exalts those who are humble. It's the same God. It's the same arm. It's the same might and power, just as he delivered Israel from Egypt. So I want to just take a little bit of time this morning, and we're just going to look at two points here. God humbles the proud, and God exalts the humble. So the first point, God humbles the proud. And there are all kinds of examples. I mean, I had to pare down the scripture verses because it comes up repeatedly throughout scripture. Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. Isaiah 2, verse 12, for the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty and against everyone who is lifted up that he may be abased. And then you skip down to verse 17. It says, the pride of man will be humbled and the loftiness of men will be abased and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And then one more verse here, familiar one, James chapter 4, verse 6. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But that, that first part there, God is opposed to the proud. Now think about this word opposed. We oftentimes use this um, in the context of, you know, you might say, I'm opposed to that idea. Um, and what we really mean is, I'm not for that. It's not my preference. Um, or sometimes we use opposed in a much stronger sense, like I am opposed to abortion, which is, you know, that's a righteous uh, stance to take. But it's not, that's not the way that God is using this here, that when he says, I am opposed to the proud. His opposition is not just a slight displeasure. He is strongly against those who are proud. And he is not strongly against them, but unable to do anything about it, kind of like when I said I'm opposed to abortion. I am opposed to abortion, but it's not within my power alone to do anything about it. But with God, he is well able to humble the proud. When he says, I am opposed to the proud, it's not just a feeling that he has. It comes with all the power that he has to be able to do something about it. Another one, and I believe uh, John read this passage uh, last week as well, Daniel chapter 4 verse 37 um, says this, now I Nebuchadnezzar praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and his ways just and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Again, notice this word able. Is this just speaking to God's ability? You know, he's able to do it. But what about his will? You know, he's able, but is he willing? And many times we acknowledge that we know God is able to do something, but we'll say, but Lord, if you're willing. And there's a right sense in that. You know, God is able to 
um, supply all my needs through some miraculous way. But Lord, if you're willing, will you, will you answer this prayer of mine? And that's a right position to take. But that is not what this verse is saying when it says God is able to humble those who walk in pride. God is able and it is his will to humble the proud. It is not something that's just talking about his ability. This is repeated over and over again in scripture that God will humble the proud. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 5. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. And so here we see the strong opposition that God has to the proud, where it says everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Again, that's not just a slight displeasure. That is a vehement displeasure, an abomination to the Lord. But then we also see in this passage the certainty of their judgment. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. And so this is just kind of a sampling of some of what the scripture has to say about those who are proud in their heart. And I thought of some examples of this where we actually see it uh, played out in scripture. And the first one I'd like to look at is in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, uh, verse 21, 21 through 23, says this, On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, The voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. This is an amazing account. Just the the suddenness of the judgment that came upon Herod. And I'm sure there was much leading up to this. But what we see in in this scripture here is immediately upon him receiving glory from others. It doesn't say necessarily from this that Herod is going out like, you know, tell me how good I am. But the people are praising him, in a sense, worshiping him. And instead of him rebuking them and directing the praise to God, he receives it. And what is that? That's pride. Receiving the praise of men and not giving God the glory, that's pride. And it says immediately an angel of the Lord struck him. What the, the suddenness of the judgment that came upon him, it, it really is it's frightening to think about. Um, another example uh, from Daniel chapter 4, and actually I already read one verse here from this, but Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, So I'm not going to read the full passage here, but if you remember, uh, Nebuchadnezzar actually had a dream, and Daniel interprets this vision of his and tells him what's going to happen, and then it happens. And um, it, it was approximately a year later after he had this vision. So in verse 
um, actually verse 29 is where we'll start, says 12 months later, so 12 months after this vision, uh, he, that is Nebuchadnezzar, was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Um, The king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and the glory of my majesty. And you can just, you see it here. He's, he's setting himself up for falling, really. Uh, just with the elevation of his own thoughts, the pride in his heart. Verse 31, while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And verse 33, immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Again, the suddenness of what God brought upon Nebuchadnezzar. He had warned him about this. But what do we know about God? Even when God brings um, warning of judgment, how many times do we see in scripture, if someone humbles himself, God relents from that judgment? Um, Jezebel, Ahab, that's who it is, King Ahab there in the Old Testament. The, I, at least my taking on it, he's probably the, the most wicked king that Israel ever had. And yet God says, do you see how he humbled himself before me? I'm going to relinquish of this judgment and it'll come to pass after his time. Wicked King Ahab, if Nebuchadnezzar would have humbled himself here, I am sure of it, God would not have brought this judgment upon him. But because he persisted in his pride, God brought the judgment upon him. And then verse 37, um, which we already read earlier, after the seven periods of time passed, he then says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. He's speaking from firsthand experience because he was humbled to be driven out like that. What an example that is of God humbling the proud. Well, it brings up a question, though. Why is God so opposed to the proud? Because the proud man has no reliance upon God. He is relying upon himself The proud man has made an idol of self, and God will not tolerate any idols. Um, Isaiah 2, verse 17, which I already read, says, The pride of man will be humbled, and the loftiness of men will be abased, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And so that, that is the ultimate evil of pride, is that it's placing yourself on the level of God, and God will not tolerate Uh, idolatry. Well, what's the application here? First of all, this should cause us to fear. God will not tolerate pride, and he is well able to humble the proud, and he will humble the proud. Now, this is not just a warning for all the people that we know that we think are proud. 
This is a warning for us. God will not tolerate pride in our lives, and we are the first ones that we should apply this warning to. Well, the second application, though, is that this should encourage us that everything will be made right. There is a day coming when every knee will bow, every proud heart will be brought low. And I was thinking about in Psalm chapter 73, which I've run out of time here, so I'm not going to turn to it. But David talks about how he's puzzled by the fact that the wicked, and he, he actually references the proud, how they seem to be living in, in ease. And here he is toiling. Here's one who's humble and trying to serve the Lord, and he's struggling. Meanwhile, the proud are living in luxury with, at ease. But then he said, but then... I came into the sanctuary of God, and I saw their end. You've placed them in slippery places. Their destruction is coming. And that, that really, it's an encouragement to us. Not that we're desiring the punishment, but we, we are desiring for things to be made right. Lord, your name be glorified, not these others lifting themselves up. Lord, we desire that your name be honored and glorified. Well, the p- second point, and I'm going to have to make this one a lot quicker, God exalts the humble. Um, Some verses here on this, James 4.10, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Um, James 4, verse 6, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Um, Matthew 23.12, I read the first part of this, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, but the follow-up to that is, Whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. So in what way does God exalt the humble? Well, when we think about exalting the humble, we should not think of this as a personal promise from an unreliable friend. You know, he means well, but he oftentimes doesn't follow through. That's certainly not true. Um, God is never hindered in any way in keeping his promises. He always does what he purposes to do. But also, we should not think of God exalting the humble in some impersonal sort of way, kind of like, you know, in science. You get these two elements together, pour them together, you you get the expected reaction out of it. It's a very impersonal type of thing, but it's predictable. That's not what it's talking about here. He is very active in keeping his word, not in an impersonal sense, but in a very real and active sense. And Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 9. I love the description here. It says, "For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His." You see the activeness on God's part of roaming the earth, looking intently, looking for those whose heart is completely His. God is not unaware of those who walk in humility. Um, There are certain things that we ourselves are drawn to, and oftentimes our attention is given more to that. And my kids would tell you that around the home, you know, I like things tidy and picked up, and I oftentimes give attention to that. But there have been many times where I've come home, and they've said, Dad, did you see that I picked up my room? And I have to be honest and say, no, I'm sorry, I, I didn't notice that. That is not the way God is. He is not like that. If those who are walking in humility, he takes notice. It's not something that, oh, I guess I just didn't see that. He notices. He sees that. 
He always notices. Now, here's, here's something to think about. In this world, quiet humility oftentimes does go unnoticed. It does. Even in the church, oftentimes, we will overlook those who are quietly serving in humility. God doesn't. He never overlooks something like that. Well, how does God exalt the humble? What does it look like? And oftentimes, I think this idea of exaltation, we can get kind of a worldly idea of it. You may think of it in sort of a fairy tale sort of way, you know, the, this person who's lowly in the eyes of everybody, and the, the king, you know, bestows great honor and gives them a place to live in the palace and lots of riches and such. Honestly, in a spiritual sense, that, that may be true, but in an earthly sense, that is not at all what God is talking about. So what does this idea of exalting look like? And I think one of the primary ways that God exalts the humble is that he puts them in a completely different category than everyone else. They are in a status of blessing. God's hand of blessing rests upon the humble. He is pleased with the humble. His smile is upon them. He is near to them. And what, what about the proud? What is the description of the proud? He is opposed to the proud. Instead of blessing being upon the proud, his wrath is upon them. What a difference. What a contrast to think that the humble, the blessing of the Lord, rests upon the humble. So what does that look like for us? What about us and our rather routine jobs and our ordinary sort of life? Well, the reality is if we are walking in humility, every task that we do is done with God's smile upon us. Every act of love and service for others, even those unnoticed, especially those unnoticed by others, is carefully watched and noticed by your heavenly Father, and he never forgets. Every effort of humbling yourself is met with God's approval. In fact, it is his spirit that puts that desire within you. He, it's what he desires. He gives you his spirit and gives you those desires. So when you begin to humble yourself, God is right there, ready to bless you and to help in that. God is taking notice, and God is pleased with the humble. But there is so much more blessing and exalting yet to come. And one verse that, uh, that I really appreciate in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. The greatest blessing, the greatest exalting is still yet to come. We haven't hardly tasted of the rich honor and blessing that will be poured out upon us. Think of it, on the day of judgment with countless multitudes being told to depart from God, that he will say to those who have walked in humility, he will say to them, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. What an honor, think about it. The honor of the Lord saying, well done, come into my presence. Think also of the parable of the rich man in Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. The parable doesn't specifically mention pride and humility, but it seems to be implied. 
the, the proud rich man living in luxury, content with his own wealth, and maybe even in a sense um, content with what he thought of as his own good works. And then contrasted with that, you have Lazarus, who outwardly had a life of hardship and trials, but who walked in humility. Anyone looking from the outside at these two lives would clearly say, the rich man has it better, right? You know, he's living in luxury. Um, That outwardly looks like the better of the two. But in this parable, we get to see the full picture. We get to see the beginning and the end. There is a life yet to come. And Lazarus in that life is living in the comfort and blessing of his heavenly father. While the rich man uh, has lost all his belongings, he's lost all the comforts and has been cast out of the presence of God. Lazarus is in a highly exalted position. He is living in the very presence of God. And if he were to compare the life of hardship that he had with the blessings that he has in the presence of God, he would agree with Paul when Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see the glory that is, that is ours, that is the believers, when we are in the presence of God. We will never in eternity ever be thinking, is this it? Is this all that we have? It will be overwhelming to think about the glory that God has bestowed upon us to be in his very presence. That is what it means when scripture says, for everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. There is great glory yet to come and great blessing for the believer right now, the privilege of walking with God in humility and for his smile to be upon us. So then just in closing here, why does God show so much blessing to the humble? And again, we talked about why does God, why is he opposed to the proud? Well, we can turn that around here. Because the humble are not relying on themselves, but on God. The humble have given up on self and are cast completely at the mercy of God. And God is delighted to show mercy to those who are relying on him. Well, amen. Why don't we go ahead and close here in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are a God of mercy. Lord, we thank you that although we once ourselves walked in pride, Lord, that you sent your spirit to convict us of sin, Lord, that you gave us the help of your spirit to humble ourselves, Lord. It wasn't that we woke up one day and decided just to start following you. Lord, you you gave us your spirit to draw us to yourself, Lord, you enabled us to humble ourselves in some measure. Lord, we pray that you would help us, um, as Peter says there, to clothe ourselves with humility. Lord, help us to walk in humility before you. Lord, keep us from pride. Lord, pride is so deceptive. It is so easy to begin falling into areas of pride in our own life. So we ask, Lord, please, Keep us from pride. Keep our eyes open that we might see areas. Keep our ears open, Lord. If others come and speak into our life, Lord, give us a listening ear. Give us a humble spirit to receive it. 
Lord, we want to walk in humility, so we pray for your help now. In Jesus' name, amen.